Good day. I'm Dr. Charles Denham. I'm chairman of TMIT Global and one of the co-founders of the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program. I'll be both a speaker and your moderator today. We're so very blessed you're joining us to learn how to keep your family safe. And before we start, as is our habit and as is our Pro, uh, our history, we always have the voice of the patient to start our programs and to close our programs. And I'm delighted to introduce Jennifer Dingman. She's founder of Pulse, Persons United Limiting uh, Substandard and Errors in Healthcare. She's been working with a team that has been working together for many, many years. We meet every other Saturday. She's been a published author in the medical literature. She's contributed to multiple federal programs in patient safety and quality. And we're delighted to have uh, Jennifer, who is always a champion for the patients and families to open us with an inspirational statement. Jennifer, would you please uh, go ahead? Thank you, Dr. Denham. It's an honor to be here today. And I'm really looking forward to today's program. Thank, very thankful for our panelists and speakers and all of our participants. Please share, please share this video and please share this with your colleagues, families, friends, and other people that you know that could be helped by this great and life-saving information. Again, thank you for having me here today, Dr. Denham, and I'll turn it back over to you. Great, Jennifer, and uh, we really appreciate your constant vigilance and work in the area of patient safety and quality. So today we're covering creating your 2021 family safety plan. And this survive and thrive guide is part of a series and we encourage you to go back and watch the prior 90 minute programs. This is the sixth such program, although we've done 18 90 minute webinars since March, since the crisis occurred, half of them are for professional caregivers Half of them are for essential, critical workforce families, and the public has really appreciated these, and we opened it up to the general public. So we're very grateful to have this mixed audience. When we advertised it, we discussed that we would cover how do vaccines work? What do I do after I'm vaccinated? When will it get back to normal, or when will we get back to normal? And how do we adjust family activities while waiting? Uh, what will be the new normal for my family and when will children be vaccinated? Well, since that time, we've had an amazing surge of cases all over the country that has really created a very, very critical situation for those of us to act very rapidly. And the good news uh, regarding vaccines uh, are that uh, you shouldn't change any of your behavior. And now that sounds interesting, but we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. The fact of the matter is whether you're vaccinated or not, you could get infected. You could be infected and infectious, meaning you could give it to someone else, whether you have symptoms or not. So everything that the CDC is recommending and your physicians recommend that you do, you should not change if you were to have vaccines. So the key for those of you that wanna know what's the takeaway today, right away, follow your caregiver's recommendations because you may be at greater risk for reactions to, to vaccines, your local caregivers will know about the background infection rate. And it's critically important that you're very aware of what's going on and stay in communication with your caregivers. And they may be pretty stressed. So it's great to be able to identify those things. Be prepared for side effects if you're at risk. What does this mean? 
if you are prone to anaphylaxis, and most people that are would know what that means is having a, an allergic reaction and need an EpiPen. If you're one of those people, you really need to be able to let the caregivers, those that are vaccinating you, uh, know. Would you still be vaccinated? Leave that up to you and your caregiver. Uh, however, uh, if you do get vaccinated, you need to have your EpiPen handy. Many times we have to use yet, uh, more than one EpiPen and we may need to have emergency care. So it's great to, we, we firmly believe in the vaccines, even if you were to be uh, uh, allergic, however, work with your caregiver. The third thing is the CDC guidelines are evolving continually, being mapped against the science. And we like to say our program, we stick with the CDC guidelines, but we try to turn the science into safety. Our job is the, is the their, their job, uh, our job is the how, and their job is the what. The CDC, your local public health uh, leader at state and county level are gonna make recommendations, but you need to know uh, know them and up with them. Whether you're vaccinated or not, maintain the safety behaviors that you would if you were not, including isolation, including quarantine, uh, and because this is a pretty new phenomenon of having the, the vaccines, which are terrific, and we highly recommend them, but you would not change your behavior. So it's a pretty simple webinar from that standpoint. We're going to emphasize uh, your safety plans. And then build the vaccinations into your family safety plan. One of the questions was about kids. Well, under a certain age, they did not test the, the vaccines, and children's immune systems react differently. Those studies are now underway, and we need to just keep, uh, keep our finger on the pulse. Constantly go to the CDC website and refer to your, your, your caregivers. So our job today is really to talk about your family safety plan over 2021, knowing that vaccines are gonna be part of it, but it doesn't mean you throw out any of the other things that you might do to prevent getting the virus or to protect your family. We've got a fantastic set of speakers who are gonna go through two, two sets of panel uh, discussions. We have Chief Adcox, who is the Chief Security Officer of MD Anderson and the Chief of Police there. My partner, along with Dr. Gregory Boats, who's also from MD Anderson, who's a full professor at MD Anderson in critical care and anesthesia, but also a clinical professor at Stanford and uh, travels back and forth to Stanford to provide care. Um, you'll hear a recorded message from Dr. Boats. Heather Foster is an infection prevention preventionist and RN, uh, actively treating people at the front line, as is Dr. Boats. She'll be with us live. And Randy Steiner is the uh, Director of Emergency Preparedness at the University of California, Irvine. And we're delighted to have Randy give his perspective here. He may have to leave a little bit early today. We'll make sure to get him in early. And we have Keith Flitner, one of our community leaders in Orange County, uh, a leader in scouts and aerospace engineer, uh, and uh, uh, really understands uh, the networks and the relationship building that's important in communities. Jamie Irastorsa, we congratulate him on his admission to medical school. He's working with us on articles and on protocols uh, and on CME production uh, this, uh, this year as he's awaiting uh, his uh, inbound uh, route into medical school, and we're thankful for that. Paul Bataya won't be with us uh, today. However, you'll see a short video clip of Paul. He's an EMT, a pre-med student, and actually is leading one of the leaders in building the Overflow Hospital here in Orange County at the University of California, Irvine. Uh, and then we have Danny Policicio, a junior producer with us at TMIT Global, an NYU film student who is uh, a wonderful contributor 
to uh, our work and he'll also be representing uh, our, uh, uh, our young adults along with Jamie. Very quickly, uh, TMIT, for those of you that don't know us, uh, has been built on a continuous development of performance improvement programs and patient safety and quality. Uh, we have 3,100 hospitals in 3,000 communities. And uh, over 35 years, we've been blessed to build a, a group, a pool of 500 subject matter experts. This is a, a visual image of what 500 looks like, but these aren't their pictures. We wanna kind of protect their privacy. So what you'll hear in just a few minutes is our, our year-end report. It's just a 10-minute video, but it expresses our appreciation and is the fact that we assembled now 80 subject matter experts and experts that were in our Discovery Channel documentaries who have contributed as a rapid response team when the crisis hit. We presumed that the place where we could serve would be to help families of critical essential infrastructure workers, of which there are 16 industry sectors. Uh, in August of, uh, in, on the 18th of August, uh, 2020, Homeland Security declared all educators uh, through K through 12 tactical and their service providers essential workers, and we've added that group to it. So if you said, well, what's the takeaway here about what you all are doing? Our hypothesis was that family transmission chains was where we could help contribute, and probably this was the Achilles heel of community spread. What's happened is that our hypothesis turned out to be true, and our belief is if you save the families, you save the worker. If you save the worker, you save the community. So what I'm going to do now is play a, a, a short video for those of you that are, uh, are longtime contributors to our program. We're thankful that you are participating with us. It covers the highlights of the 2020, very short, but it also, for those of you that are new, will allow you to see the assets that will be available to you as we, uh, as we go through our programs. Hi, I'm Dr. Charles Denham. I'm chairman of TMIT Global and a co-founder of the MedTAC Bystander Rescue Care Program. This video is our year-end report and provides the highlights of our 2021 plan. It's a good news, bad news story. The good news is of our progress. The bad news is of the exploding numbers of infections and deaths. We have to thank our now more than 80 subject matter experts and community representatives on our rapid response team and the world-class experts who contributed to our two Discovery Channel films and leadership training programs whose messages have had great impact. We convened this rapid response team when the coronavirus struck in New York this spring. We originally sought to meet a vital need, helping the essential critical infrastructure workers in 16 industry sectors designated by Homeland Security. Those who care for us, keep us safe, and keep the food, water, and power flowing to our homes. Those who have to go to work no matter what, they were the most vulnerable, and there were no safety training resources for them and their families. Our original belief was that family transmission chains were our Achilles heel. This is now supported by the evidence. However, our big surprise was that our program for essential worker families hit a nerve with the general public who sought to be trained with them. This dramatically expanded our reach. By year end, we had established a national community of practice, launched a multi-institutional study at major medical centers, hosted 18 live 90-minute broadcasts and converted them to on-demand recordings, produced six survive and thrive training programs for families, published multiple articles, provided free continuing education hours for healthcare professionals, produced short video summaries for mobile devices, 
and developed rapid response programs to prevent spread during family holiday gatherings. Our leaders made terrific contributions to the program while they've been on the front line caring for patients in the ICUs, like Dr. Greg Boats at MD Anderson. Emergency medicine leaders, including Dr. Casey Clements at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Toph Peabody at UCSF, and Dr. Chris Fox at UCI. Infection preventionists and nursing leaders like Heather Foster and Professor Mary Foley were educating families and nurses. Even our student leaders like pre-med student at EMT Paul Bataya are leading construction of field hospitals in California to meet the surge, and Jamie Iristorza, who is co-authoring medical articles and helping develop CME programs with us. And we have NYU film students Danny Policiccio and Claire Peck helping craft messages and producing media to reach critical age groups contributing to family spread. So our progress is the good news. I wish we could say we're turning the corner. However, we're not. The bad news is really bad news. As I speak these words, we have two new infections every single second and two preventable deaths every single minute in America. The growth is absolutely explosive. The doubling time is measured in days, but these are just numbers and we've become numb to the numbers, but they don't explain the absolute cruelty of this disease. Most of us, especially doctors and scientists, deplore exaggeration for effect. However, the final moments of our loved ones will have them starving for air with strangers they can't see and never be able to say goodbye or get a chance for us to tell them we love them. As a retired cancer doctor, I face the death of my dear patients every single day. But this is totally different. The worst news is that an even greater surge is coming in the first quarter of 2021. Vaccines will take many months to have real impact. It will be too late for many of our families. So what is our 2021 game plan? The good news, and even the great news, is that the very families that are our weakest link can become our greatest strength. Now that we know that family infection transmission chains are our Achilles heel, we can break them by direct actions at the source, at the family behavior level. This can turn the tide in a matter of weeks. It can be done. The CDC, state, and county public health guidelines change almost on a daily basis with the science. That's why every family needs an evolving family safety plan to convert the science to safety. The CDC tells the public the what to do, but not the how. We give them the how and the actions they can take to keep their families safe. We will continue to engage leading medical centers through their experts in a continuous improvement project to study worker family vulnerabilities to drive our rapid cycle innovation team. By January 1st, 2021, we had more than 650 family responses. We will continue to apply our predictive analytics innovation development methods and care path mapping program to address the most important COVID family impact scenarios. This allows us to generate impact calculators that show us where to have the most impact by direct action. Since our series of survive and thrive guides hit a nerve with the general public and our studies show they wanted to be trained with essential worker families, we'll continuously update them and expand our reach across community sectors in 2021. All families need to keep up on the evolving science of the virus. The reasons for social distance, hand hygiene, the risk of high contact surfaces, the use of masks, avoiding crowded and indoor spaces, mixing household bubble groups, and testing for isolation and quarantine purposes. 
Most importantly, they need to know how to prepare to care for someone in their homes and when to seek emergency care. Our emergency and critical care physicians and nurse preventionists will continue to tackle coming home safe. How to keep from bringing the virus home to the family by defining best practices at work, the hot zone, where and how to disinfect in the warm zone, and how to maintain the safe zone virus-free where we may even have to care for a loved one. Our Keeping Our Kids Safe program doesn't tell families whether or not to send their kids to school or college. We give them the tools they need to assess threats, vulnerabilities, and risks so they can make that decision on their own, especially in light of the surge in the first two quarters of 2021. Our community pediatricians and emergency medicine physicians will continue to weigh in. Our team of youth, college students, and young adults will address their risk as super spreaders and the leadership opportunities within their age groups. The Family Safety Plan takes a deep dive into a step-by-step -step way of addressing readiness for surges, response when a loved one is infected or exposed, when to rescue a loved one if they have severe symptoms and need emergency care, recovery to a new normal, and resilience, how to make the family and friends less vulnerable. Many hospitals will move to crisis care guidelines when overwhelmed and have to shift care back to families because they just can't take the new patients. Our Family Safety Plans Templates for Everyone Survive and Thrive Guide provides a comprehensive review of plan checklists and templates we created for families and living units such as college roommates. Providing care at home is going to be a real shock for families. In this Survive and Thrive Guide, we provided a detailed review of the skills, space, and supplies families and roommates need to have to care for someone who's infected and symptomatic in the home. The goal is to optimize such care while at the same time protecting the family and roommates from being infected. Our infection prevention nurses, emergency medicine, and critical care doctors converted the guidelines for creating an isolation room in a hospital to family guidelines to convert a room in the home to care for someone who is sick. Creating your 2021 Family Safety Plan program provides answers to critical questions about how vaccines work, what to do after vaccination, what to do to get back to a safe new normal, how to balance the other public health behaviors, and what to do about children. Our Family Lifeguard program and Holiday Huddle Checklist was a rapid response solution to the family-generated surge events of holiday gatherings. Successfully deployed to tens of thousands over the 2020 holidays, it will be configured to become a year-round program to keep family gatherings safer. Throughout 2021, our award-winning educators will continue to teach their colleagues and families how to engage children to have an active role in family safety plans. We will continue to use well-known motion picture fictional stories and real-life true stories of innovation, courage, commitment, and accomplishment to inspire families. We will also continue to engage community membership groups such as scouts, teams, and faith-based organizations with customized programs. We will provide them practical examples of solutions to keep their families safe and really live mottos like be prepared. In August of 2020, Homeland Security declared educators at all levels and their service providers to be essential critical infrastructure workers. So in 2021, we will seek to establish at least one showcase example center of excellence in each of these 17 industry sectors, including education. Using the All Teach, All Learn method of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, we hope to accelerate the impact of best practices to deal with the coronavirus crisis through these centers. 
our coronavirus crisis community developed through the Bystander Rescue Care program we started five years ago in schools and communities. When we were building a rapid response system for active shooter events at the world's largest medical center, we discovered that Good Samaritan Care can beat failure to rescue for the eight most common emergencies. Bystanders can triple the survival rate in emergencies before EMS arrives by some very simple training. CPR and AED use for sudden cardiac arrest, the Heimlich maneuver for choking, and the rescue care of drowning victims, Narcan for opioid overdoses, use of EpiPens for life-threatening allergies, bleeding control during active shooter events, and prevention and care of infections, prevention of drive-over accidents, and prevention of bullying. Simple skills can be learned in just a matter of a few hours. MedTAC is the only program in the world that trains the Good Samaritan rescue skills altogether. It began saving lives in the first seven weeks before our very first graduation of children. We now train anyone from 8 to 80, professionals and the public alike. The coronavirus crisis has driven us to innovate through 2021. We're making all of our MedTAC training COVID-19 safe. We're converting all on-site training to full online certifications. We're developing special certifications by sector, and we will be able to train anyone in the world remotely by Zoom or internet meetings. So in summary, we're gratified by our progress. However, we're sobered by the incredible challenge. We pray that we can do everything possible to pursue our mission to take our solutions to scale. The care of our communities is absolutely critical. Thank you for all you're doing to protect those at risk and those who are most vulnerable as we say to all of our MedTAC rescue teams, we have to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Everyone is a patient, and everyone can be a caregiver. So we're very appreciative of all of you that have uh, participated in the program and been involved with those of you that are first timers. Join our community of practice. We're gonna be focused on coronavirus and being able to treat this terrible pandemic. And we'll also be developing uh, programs for the eight leading causes of preventable death. If you go to our website, you'll be able to see short videos that are as short as four minutes. Watch them on your phone. Uh, you don't need to watch a, an entire 90 minute program but we cover the topics that are critically important. We're curating the latest articles because the science is changing so rapidly. So what we wanna do uh, before we dig right into your plan is have you participate with us in a, the study that we've undertaken. We hope to get uh, uh, over 700 contributors uh, to the study. And so Kyle, would you please uh, start uh, the survey uh, uh, for those that can uh, participate? You'll see on, on your uh, screen, the ability to participate in our survey. Please do it because we're taking the information from this survey to help develop our content. And so you just need to answer whether you've taken it before, take it again, we'll keep track of that. Well, the first question is, my family's ready to care for a loved one with the coronavirus in our home. The second question is, my family knows what actions to take if a loved one becomes infected or exposed to the coronavirus. The third is, my family knows what to do when someone develops severe COVID-19 symptoms. 
The fourth is my family has a safety plan to return to work and play when the coronavirus social restrictions are relaxed. And then finally, what we know of in the work that we do in uh, in, a, in active shooter events and terrorism and our uh, leaders that are in, um, in law enforcement, resilience, target hardening, uh, do you have a plan to go ahead and, and, and cover that for your family? We're in this incredible surge right now. Again, two infections every second, two deaths every minute. Please respond to our survey if you can. Um, this graph is here in the United States compared to other countries. We've got explosive growth right now that's just really, really uh, hitting us. I'm gonna add, uh, just for time, so we give our speakers enough time to speak, I'll play a, a short uh, uh, audio recording of an interview with Dr. Fox regarding what's going on in the emergency departments uh, in uh, at the end, but I'll jump forward to address what's new. So what's new that we need to know about um, regarding our planning? And the, the probably one of the single most important things to know is about aerosol risk. Over the course of the development of this crisis, we've learned that droplets that are smaller than five microns, and for those of you that are not scientists, the smaller droplets actually evaporate quicker than gravity can cause them to land. When they evaporate and when it is colder and drier, what happens is that the virus can float in the air and get into our uh, HVAC systems. It can float through the system of your car. If you've got somebody in your car, that's a closed container with the air being uh, flowing. And we uh, now understand compared to March versus now in January, that aerosol risk is enormous. Number two is asymptomatic patients. The patients that never get symptoms who could be breathing and we, we say the, bit, the most dangerous thing we can have is shared air. When you share air, you run the risk. And that's one of the, the, the latest things that we've learned. The other thing that we've learned is that masks can have a dramatic impact in reducing uh, the, uh, uh, not only the risk to the wearer, but the risk uh, of the wearer to give the virus to someone else. Again, when we talk about vaccines, would vaccines and the presence of vaccines or whether you get vaccinated impact whether you would wear a mask or not? Absolutely not. Would it change whether you would wear a mask in the house if someone is in isolation in your home or uh, under quarantine because they're infected? Absolutely not. The, the, the news here is vaccines are gonna be great to reduce severe disease, but that's all the science is showing us. They're reducing your risk for severe disease. We don't know yet how much they reduce your ability to get infected, reinfected, be infectious, or be able to harm other people. And we are seeing people that are getting infected uh, as well. As we talk about the uh, uh, the mRNA virus, and we'll I'll be able at the end of the the program if we have a moment to show a short video clip from uh, the New England Journal of Medicine. But what people need to understand is is that they're so worried that they're going to get the virus and get sick from these these two new uh, vaccines that have come out. That's not true. What we're actually getting in the vaccine is instructions. It's just a little bit of instruction to tell your body to make this, the protein that looks like the protein of the virus, so then your body can make antibodies. So you're not getting a virus, you're not getting part of a virus with these new RNA vaccines, you're getting a set of instructions to tell your body to turn on making antibodies and to turn on what are called your T cells. There are two, two limbs to your immune system, and uh, we can in the Q&A, we can go into that in more detail. 
An article just came out on the 31st of December. And so those of you that are professional caregivers highly recommend this article that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine just a few days ago. And if we have time at the end, I'll show a video. We'll post the video of how the virus, uh, how the, the vaccine actually works and how this, this uh, instruction set can cause the body to respond. It's in pretty technical and medical information. Another article that is, I think, important to read, and again, we don't want to exaggerate the risk, but these new strains of this virus are very, we must take them very seriously. The fact that they may be 50%, even 70% more contagious, more likely for us to spread from one person to another uh, is, is really, really important. The press has, I think, probably in their ability to just have a short message have said, well, it's spread, it causes more, there's more spread, but it's not any more lethal. Well, that means it's not more lethal if you get it. But in a, if 100 people uh, are, if twice as many people out of a population, out of 100 people get it, you'll have double the deaths because the lethality is the same. The lethality isn't less per person. It's just equal to the one we currently have. So we're heading into a pretty dark time period over the next two quarters. We're seeing the strains, the B1117 strain that has been seen in, in the UK is, uh, and now we're seeing it, we've seen it in California, Colorado, Florida. We're gonna see it all over the country and it probably will become the dominant strain as it, as, as it has in the UK. The strain that has popped up in South Africa because of mutations also may be that communicable. So. These are very, very important things uh, uh, to consider. Uh, Dr. Boats is taking care of patients in the ICU. He's our clinical team lead, uh, along with uh, Chief Adcox, who you'll hear from. And so I'm going to now play uh, uh, the video of my interview last night with Dr. Boats uh, to kind of prepare us to walk through building your plan. Dr. Boats, thank you so much for taking time today to go through the Survive and Thrive modules with us. Let's start off with coming home safe. What tips do you have regarding 2021 and our plan going forward now that we know a lot more about the science? Well, I think we've learned a lot over the last several months about the safety practices for coming home safely, but I think we still need to rely on the basic tenets that we laid down with our original thoughts, which is using a structured approach, obviously identifying where the hot zone and the warm zone and the cold zone might be in your environment. We've also learned how to sort of maybe temper our approach. We've learned from lessons of others and uh, we may now be more likely to um, breach some of our safety practices because they become familiar. And we really have to redouble our efforts to be safe and to follow our guidelines so that we don't have an accidental break and contaminate our home and perhaps cause illness in our families. Great. Now, our second Survive and Thrive guide was uh, to focus on um, keeping, we called it keeping our kids safe, but we really talked about the inside threats that are intrinsic to our family members or housemates and the living environment, and then the outside community threats. What tips do you have for 2021 in that realm? Well, we certainly have learned a lot in that environment as well. Um, Thinking about inside threats and outside threats has been a really good model for structuring our approach. Something that we've learned is that much more of the transmission is happening in the family units than we perhaps thought before. 
And so we have to be very thoughtful about target hardening our own internal threats with uh, our immediate family or an extended family in our bubble that might put us at risk for transmission to not only our family members, but those who are in our extended family. So Dr. Boats, the third area is the family safety plan and our research uh, with so many wonderful responses from family members, both from the essential critical workforce, but also from the general community have given us some real insights on the five R's and why it's so important to have a family plan. Now that we are converting or turning the science into safety with uh, our MedTech approach of the medical science and then tactically being able to look at the how to do what we need to do, your tips for 2021 there. Well, I think you're, you're spot on. I think that our approach is taking the best information in the literature and turning it into our actions and our behaviors. And we've learned an awful lot. We've gone from a reactionary stance when the pandemic was first beginning. And now we're sort of in a maintenance phase as we move into living with the coronavirus in our environment. And so having a plan, following the plan when needed, practicing deliberately so that we're ready and we can deploy it when needed is so important sort of a performance improvement loop, looking at our plan to see how do we need to adapt it? How resilient do we need to be to adjust for the changing environment that's happening in the pandemic across our communities? We're seeing a much higher number of people with coronavirus in our communities, so the risks are different. And we're seeing that some of the therapies that we were hoping would be helpful may not be. The vaccines are now available, so that's becoming part of the approach to managing the coronavirus pandemic. But all of those things need to be recalculated, if you will, when we're developing and maintaining our family plans. Fantastic. The real serious issue that we're dealing with today is that we are really facing a major surge in the first two quarters of 2021. We most likely, many of us will have to care for someone at home that may be infected and symptomatic. And our goal has to be to take care of that person and know what to do, but also protect the rest of the family. Now that we know more about the science and we know more about what we can do to safely care for someone, a loved one or a housemate or a roommate, uh, your advice there. Well, I go back to the foundations that we put down in our plans for caring for someone in our immediate home, whether it's a family member, a roommate, or whoever. And we have to have a steadfast plan for keeping others safe while we're providing supportive care to the person with the coronavirus. That includes having safe zones in the home so that we don't cross-contaminate. It's having a, an eye on the symptoms to make sure that the infected person isn't becoming more significantly ill and needs to seek medical care. When do you go into rescue phase and get someone from the home into the, into the, into the medical uh, environment? And, and how do we take the information that we have about transmission, uh, perhaps more so with, with family contact, with aerosols, maybe less with contact surfaces, not zero, but less important than we thought before? How do we sort of recalibrate to make sure that the way that we approach caring for people at home remains safe? 
Well, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Votes, for your commitment to helping uh, everyone, both in the essential critical infrastructure workforce, but also in the general public uh, deal with this challenge. It's uh, wonderful to have an expert in critical care, uh, an expert in simulation, uh, and someone who's so dedicated to help patients. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So we're, we've now heard from Dr. Boats. Uh, we are now going to recap the two really important modules that lead into your family plan. And those, those are uh, coming home safe and how do we assess our family risk and the, the, the concern there regarding uh, the, the in, internal risk and external risk. So Family Survive and Thrive Guide is a 90 minute program. What we did was we went through the hot zone which is where we can be exposed to the virus, the warm zone where we disinfect and we render ourselves hopefully virus-free, and then the safe zone where we uh, can come home. So in the hot zone, what's new is that our high, high contact surfaces are still a risk. They still are a risk. They're not as great a risk, but there's some misinformation out there to say, oh, there's no risk. That's not true. We're, we're not gonna spend 30 minutes washing down every everything we get at the grocery store, but we better remember that the risk at the grocery store is very serious in terms of the aerosol risk and droplets that can land on things. So it's critically important. And we, we kind of went over uh, the social distancing, hand washing, uh, really critical now are avoiding the poorly ventilated spaces. We now know that ventilation is absolutely critical. Aerosol, much more important than we ever thought it was. Um, not touching our faces is as important as it was. Really being firm about uh, keeping our space. Protective uh, PPE, protective equipment is absolutely as important as it was with masks being in the lead and uh, keeping uh, focused on, on washing our hands. And, uh, and it, the, uh, the, co the concept of a close contact which we cover in our program uh, that CDC has now defined as a close contact that might require you to go into quarantine has been refined in more detailed. Someone who has been, uh, been close to an infected documented person for an accumulated 15 minutes over 24 hours. Someone that is a bit of direct caregiver of someone that was COVID positive. Someone that has been exposed to uh, physical contact, a kiss or a hug with somebody who even if you haven't spent 15 minutes uh, together is a close contact. Someone that used common utensils, meaning cooking utensils uh, with someone that was COVID positive. These are all now what the CDC now defines. And when we did the original program, um, they were not what was called a close contact. Disinfection still critically important. We'll have Heather Foster kind of address that this is still an important issue uh, of disinfection but we probably would not obsess as much about the surfaces as we once did. We now know a lot of airflow is good, sunlight is good, soap and water is good. Um, taking care of someone at the home though, now that we're considering these ventilation issues, really critical that we keep windows open as much as possible. Airflow is critical and, and uh, opening a window and keeping the person in isolation away from us uh, is absolutely critical. So we recommend that you watch, the, watch our 90 minute program. Not much has changed, only the areas we're emphasizing 
We have an 18-page article we just finished uh, the, uh, the, the first of uh, the, this year, which is six days ago, uh, that uh, Jamie Aristosa is a, a co-author uh, with uh, Chief Adcox, who's on Today Live, and Dr. Boats heard Charlie Denham, my son, young. And what we did was we really broke down the science of the mask. The, this article is a transcript of our video, a 29-minute video on our website. So you can download the article and then watch that and watch this video on our website. All free. All of our content is free. We'll really help you understand the science behind masks and what's critically important. Second module is really critical, and that is understanding. And we, we gave it a title of keeping your kids safe to get us to think about it. But the critical issue is assessing the threats in your community and the threats within your home, which are the inside threats and the outside threats. What's the vulnerability that your family has? Every family's different. Every living situation's different. Roommates in college, totally different. And the risk and probability of harm is a multiple of that factor. If you've got a certain threat profile internally and externally, and you look at your vulnerability, that's what determines your risk. You, everybody doesn't have the same risk. So if my family's highly vulnerable and your family is not, our behavior might be different in the plan that we undertake. We provided a step-by-step -step approach at assessing your, your profile internally and your risks, your, your threats and your vulnerability, and then externally. Externally, we've got an enormous community spread. Every one of us should really be looking at our family profile and putting a family plan together because we've got a surge across the country. And we know that the basics are still the same. We know social and physical distancing, probably more important than it was at the very beginning, uh, masks more important than we thought, disinfecting surfaces, key, uh, but it's important that we kind of understand those things. So what I'm going to do now is go to our panel and I'm going to allow them to be on video and I'm going to be on video today uh, and I'm going to uh, stop sharing and uh, I'm going to go to each one of the folks in our panel to address this. Uh, uh, Heather Foster, I see you getting ready to speak. Uh, Heather, we're going to cover both of these modules together so we don't have to toggle so much today. As a nurse preventionist, as a frontline nurse and caregiver, uh, what advice now would you provide to all of us regarding the key issues of coming home safe and also how we assess our family vulnerability? Well, Chuck, I think you covered it very well. Um, the message has always been to maintain social distance, to wear your masks when you go out, and to wash your hands. Um, and I think that has always been the case, to flatten the curve. And somewhere, we, I think we've gotten tired. I think we've gotten a little fatigued. Yep. And so we're slacking off. And, and like you say, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So if we can just go back to the basics, keep it simple, um, I think that would definitely help mitigate uh, the spikes that we're seeing right now. And you're seeing a lot of people that are not doing that and are coming in and, and still believing this is a hoax and, uh, and, and not maintaining it in family members, which is really such a shame because well-educated people can be misinformed and, and that can be a problem. So I know right. you're 
you're running into that. Um, because Randy Steiner may have to go a little bit later. Chief Adcox, would you kind of lead off on, on the security issues and the front line, uh, the message to our frontline essential workers, law enforcement, you are the chief security officer at MD Anderson, chief of police. You're also one of the pioneers of threat safety science with us. And then I'll ask Randy as an expert in the broader context of emergency preparedness, what you what you might add to what's new. Uh, chief, your thoughts, your message to the our law enforcement officers and frontline folks that, uh, that we're so grateful for protecting us and taking care of us. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Denham, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege, to, a privilege to be here today with you. I think first and foremost, it's important that all of us keep up with, uh, with the most current science-based information. What's really the truth out there? There's so much misinformation, disinformation. Um, it's just, it's just a horrible situation, and so we need to keep up with it. And again, come to the TMIT site, come to the um, Global MedTech site, and all the information is free. The other thing is when you when you go through these these sites and you look for this information, you know you can follow the checklist, you can look at the templates, you can read the narratives, but at the end of the day, we need to learn as much as we can so that we in the individually can help uh, to determine what the actual threat is to our family and what the actual risk is to our family, and then we develop the plan around that, and so that it's it's an appropriate plan. First responders are at tremendous risk. Um, you know, especially given the fact that first responders don't have full control over who they come into contact with and whether they there's actually going to be a physical contact that's going to be made. And so you have to you have to understand that the best way that you can protect yourself is to protect your family, put together a plan, a safety plan that that's going to be fact based It's going to be based on, on on an algorithm, which is determined by what the risk and the threats are to your family. I always tell the I told the the personnel in, in the police department how important it is is that the statistics right now there's been 186 first responder police officers lives lost in 2020 because of COVID. A police officer has a four times more likelihood chance to to perish from from COVID uh, 19 than they do from gunshot wounds wow. or from gunfire, and um, it's just it's just terrible. And when you think about what the new uh, virus that's that's uh, how it's how it's morphed and I don't know the science behind it but it's if it is up to 70% more contagious and the fact that we're just right now coming into the top of the third wave of the virus and we're seeing the hospitals and I can just speak to the Texas area that are just inundated and I've, I've read a lot about other areas where the hospitals are right now are overrun and we haven't even reached the peak of the third wave and now with the new virus that's coming out uh, the vaccine is is critical wearing the mask, the social distancing, washing your hands, et cetera, is critical that we continue that. Uh, and the fact that we, we put our plans together and protect our families. So I can't speak enough about why that's important, but first responders are, you know, they're at great risk. And remember, there are three, those are three areas. It's, it's what you do when you're at work. And in police officers, you need to continue to disinfect your web gear, your vehicles, your radios and things as you're going in and out of calls, obviously. And so what you're doing at work, and then what you do is that the warm zone that we talk about when you're going home, what, what do you do when you get to your house? Well, you have a disinfectant uh, uh, center there. How do you take your, your web gear and your other things off? How do you protect your family there? And then even in the family, in the home, when you start deciding on what do you do, where do you go? 
how do you how do you get your groceries? How do you how do you take your family members to to the doctors, the dentist, or whatever might be needy? So you're putting together your family. So you got to continue consider all those. And as a first responder, you need to take the lead. You need to make a determination who's going to be the chief family officer, and utilize all these these resources that they're available at no cost. They're all scientific based, and just and let's just do the best we can to protect each other and. And, uh, and I think Randy can, can uh, Randall can, can give you a lot more on the emergency management piece, but that's what I would say, Dr. Denham, and I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Chief, and thanks for your steadfast support and actually helping drive our research study with your officers, because it's really, really been helpful. Uh, Randy, many thanks for your great work uh, as a director uh, here locally where I am in Orange County with the uh, University of California, Irvine, and working closely with Paul Bataya. And you're also a scout leader uh, in our community. Uh, what additional perspective do you want to build on from what you heard from Bill? Oh, thanks, Jack, and thanks for, for allowing me to be here. Um, you know, I, I kind of like a look at you know things from a, a a broader emergency management perspective, emergency preparedness perspective. You know, with COVID, it's obviously has taken over. You know, all of our you know emergency operations or emergency you know preparedness perspectives. Um, but you know, we got to keep in mind and not let drop off the radar. You know, just our standard emergency preparedness and our ability to respond to emergencies. You know, in the state of California, where I live, we had uh, six, five of the six largest wildfires in California history happen between July and September of, of, the, of 2020, uh, including the August complex fire, which was over a million acres up in Northern California. Um, you know, in the, in the, the uh, Silverado fire that we had here in Orange County, uh, just back in November, we had over 50,000 people that had to be evacuated just due to that fire. You know, we have uh, hurricanes that were happening down down in the southeast. We had nor'easters in the northeast. I mean, in Vermont, during one storm, there was 14 feet of snow that fell. There were power outages. There's still a need for us to prepare our, our basic emergency preparedness plans, you know, beyond COVID. I mean, if you're evacuated, if you need to evacuate, do you have the, the supplies in your go kit to protect yourself and your family? If you have to go to a shelter where there may be many people, um, you know, congregating due to the need to evacuate, uh, making sure that your supplies include those supplies that you need, the, your masks, your, 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 your sanitizer and all that, and making sure you have that in your kit so that if you need to bug out, that you can keep your family safe in those environments, whether it's traveling to the shelter or actually in the shelter. That also applies to shelter workers. There are a lot of people out there that are volunteers for shelters, making sure that part of your deployment strategy is to protect yourself um, in those shelter environments or, or in any response. Uh, uh, Chief Adcox talked about uh, the, the, the police response to things and making sure that, you know, you are prepared to go into any of those tactical situations and remain safe, you know, under this, this, uh, this emergency of, of COVID. While COVID is really the biggest thing on everybody's mind right now in the pandemic, and it's, it's the national, the, the, the international emergency that we're dealing with, let's not lose fact that, you know, we have to be prepared for any emergency as part of our family plans and keeping our family safe in those situations. So integrating these these components of, of safety with COVID into your emergency plan 
um, for any emergency is, is so critical and not to lose sight of that is, is really important. You don't want to wait for the evacuation order to come to say, oh, how are we going to remain safe in a shelter or in any other situation that we find ourselves in as we're evacuating from a, or, or responding as a family to a, a disaster that may occur outside of COVID. Well, Randy, thank you very much for bringing that up. And thank you for the work that we've been doing together with you on getting automatic defibrillators in the right locations. And I think that that reminds us that now that we have any sort of an emergency, we've got to have masks and gloves and things to, to wash where, where, we, where we have rescue stations. And as we talk with Keith Flitner a little bit more about what we're doing here in California at, at beaches, we need to add that layer of protection. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Jamie uh, Storza is a um, uh, incoming medical student. Uh, congratulations on uh, you being uh, admitted to medical school. We'll see which one you pick and you, I'm sure you'll have a great selection. Uh, Jamie has uh, been a wonderful co-author of our masks article. He's working on other articles with us and he's a co-producer of our continuing medical education program along with Chief Adcox and Dr. Boats uh, and I and uh, our team for uh, uh, major medical centers. Jamie, your perspective from the standpoint of young adults and those that are living, having to go and live in new places and being with housemates and that kind of thing. And uh, we'll hear in a moment from Danny Policicchio. You two kind of are our anchor fellows regarding what to do with the young adults. What's your, what are your thoughts? And, from, and you've got a unique perspective having really dug into the science. So yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on today. Um, the, the thing that first comes to mind is the fact that here starting 2021, we know so much more about the transmission dynamics of this virus. Um, you know, originally we thought this is highly driven by high contact surfaces and not so much about aerosols. Now we know it's driven a little bit by, by infection from contact surfaces and it's driven a lot by aerosols. Um, so, you know, as a young person or really just anybody living in a group of other people, it's really important to keep your family or your living unit bubble safe. And the simplest, easiest way to do that is by wearing a mask. Because you know, even as I'm speaking right now, I'm generating all of these oral droplets that are coming out of my mouth. And some are really big and are falling on my keyboard and my mouse that are right in front of me. And some are floating around as aerosols in the air. And we know now that the virus is in both of those big and small particles. And um, the bottom line is that masks prevent both of those from or reduce the number of, of those particles that are coming out of your mouth. So I really can't um, stress how important it is for everybody to be wearing masks. You can really, really do a lot just by, you know, simply wearing a mask when you go out in public. Great, great. And Danny Policicchio has been uh, one of our assistant producers with uh, TMIT Global and uh, MedTAC even before we got started with the coronavirus when we focused on the eight leading causes of death and developed uh, programs for schools. And now we're teaching everybody from eight to 80 how to deal with these critical issues like uh, bleeding after an active shooter event and, uh, and CPR. And so thank you very much, Danny, for being uh, such a, a great contributor as an assistant producer in that realm. He's also uh, an NYU film student and offering a perspective on getting the messages to your age group, Jamie. And so Danny, what thoughts do you have to add now that we, now we know we've got more aerosol, now that we know that maybe contact surfaces are not as risky, but now that we've got a community spread that's just off the charts, how would you change what you think about in terms of uh, putting a plan together with roommates? Uh, thank you, Dr. Dunham. 
I really have to pay, uh, piggyback off of Jamie. Masks are the most important thing, especially with the uh, discovery that aerosol is the main spread. And as a college student going back, the best thing I could give for my advice for myself and for others is that when you're living with roommates, especially people who you're not in contact with all the time, is wear a mask both inside and outside in common spaces and uh, uh, places of passing, as well as for roommates, have the uh, conversation about what people want to be success uh, successful to and just be able to put a family plan together for both when you're away and when you're home. And their new conversations, Jamie, about their medical conditions and their risk. And uh, uh, they may be things that people normally wouldn't talk about with a uh, set of roommates, but if somebody gets sick, you certainly would want to know what's their medical history or do they have medical records that are important and are they things that uh, would need to be uh, uh, would need to be key. So uh, I'm going to go back to uh, now our next two modules. And uh, 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 first off, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Keith Flitner as a comedy uh, as a uh, uh, as a community leader uh, in uh, in uh, Orange County here, but uh, understanding the the dynamics of leadership of membership organizations, teams, scouts. What perspective do you want to offer us regarding maybe how we can engage them and and uh, and really in, in, enlist them in uh, trying to champion this cause now that our background infection rate has gotten so high in the communities? Oh, you're muted, Keith. My bad, faux pas. Hey, great to be here, Dr. Denham, and thank you everyone for joining today. We've been uh, working for months now. We came together through scouting and youth organizations and focused on family, but we really worked on not just the message that you've seen today, but how to get that message into the organizations. And one of the key things that we really tapped into was the existing function of scouting that takes Cub Scouts to Eagle Scouts and really trains them to be leaders and use them to be the COVID lifeguard, to be that, that advocate, take that information that we're, we're always constantly updating, but make sure that they're, they're now um, incorporating it and actually leading their families and making sure that they're staying safe, whether it's a one bubble or we've come up with a double bubble model. Fantastic. Uh, uh, thank you so much. And Jennifer, do you have anything you want to add here? You're going to have a little more generous time uh, as our closer as well. But Jennifer, would you like to make a comment? Um, no, I think everything that was said was really wonderful. Thank you very much for thinking of me. Absolutely. You're, such a, you're always such a great contributor, Jennifer. We always want to make sure to give you the opportunity. So now let's talk about the next two and the really, really critical modules. Uh, so we've just talked about coming home safe. We've talked about the increased risk in the back in the community and, and looking at our risk. Let's talk about the family safety plan and the five R's that we where, where we pulled you uh, initially. And the key issue and Dr. Boats, uh, before uh, Dr. Boats spoke, we played the video. So for those of you that want to go back uh, and watch the 90 the 90 minute program or the shorter programs, these five R's are where we're studying through multiple medical centers, the families and essential workers and the public regarding uh, five things really quickly. Uh, first off, uh, are you ready? Are you ready if somebody gets infected or somebody gets exposed? So you would know what to do with the quarantine or isolation. Would you know what to do to respond? Um, so readiness is being ready. Responses, would you know how to respond and what to do? 
Third is rescue. If somebody has some of the troublesome signs of respiratory distress and the other difficulties on the CDC website, would you know what to do? Fourth, uh, the fourth is recovery. Would you know how to help people after they've been infected? And many people are having long-term, what we call a medicine sequelae, things that are really dragging them down and have a plan to help them. And then resilience is, can we learn from the what's going on in the environment to harden our target, as Chief Adcox would say, and Randy Steiner would say, uh, to harden the target from these threats. So uh, this slide is part of our much bigger program about some of the guidelines. Now, some of the guidelines have changed. Now, quarantine period is seven to 10 days, not 14 days. So keep track of that. It can be shorter and it can be as short as seven days if you get a test, have no fever, have a, a negative test. Isolation uh, is, is now 10 days. So these times are changing, but we really need to adhere to them. They're not kind of general guidelines. They really can save the life of your family. So when we built out the structure for the safety plans, we identified the set of scenarios that are more most likely to happen to you and your family. And I'm not going to go through them here today, but it's absolutely critical to get our kids involved. We can get kids. We've been training with our MedTech program for five years. Danny Policicio was there right at the very beginning when he was in when he was in high school and watched this evolve. We've got third graders that can do they can almost run a code. They know how to do a CPR. They know how to use AED. They know how to use a tourniquet. And now they can know how to actually work with the family. So readiness, let's just talk about it. And we have the set of checklists and one of our 90 minute webinars was the checklist template. So I'm not gonna go through it in detail, but what we did was we organized them about awareness. What does the family need to be aware of? Who needs to be accountable to do what? Um, the ability, do they know what to do? Do they have the resources? And then action, what are the line of sight actions for each one of these typical scenarios, be it getting exposed, getting sick, uh, uh, recovery, what if someone's in the hospital? This threat profile concept is absolutely critical. And for those, and you, we, you've heard two very responsible young adults talking about roommates, being able to have that critical conversation with roommates and say, do I need to know anything about if you were to get sick and I had to get you to the hospital, is there anything I need to know about medications you might be taking and pre-existing conditions? Response is to respond if somebody is exposed. Do we really understand what isolation is and the difference between that and, and quarantine? Critically important in order to keep the family safe and, and also to minimize your hassle and the difficulties. One of the things that we've learned over the course of the time that we've spent in learning all of this is many, many, many people have respiratory problems that develop in their lungs from the virus. And it's much better to get them on oxygen and see a doctor earlier than it is to wait till the, it's too late. So a pulse oximeter, I'm buying them. What we're doing, and Randy, thank you for bringing up the issue of be, just being prepared in a go bag and a go kit. Everyone should have a pulse oximeter handy for the family. Most of us that are clinicians uh, do, and it's a way to measure the, blood, the oxygenation in the blood and the pulse. And these two factors can actually help you tell the, the, the clinicians that might see you in the emergency department what to do. The young lady in the picture on the image at the, at the top is actually uh, a young lady that passed away uh, from, uh, from COVID, which was really, really a shame, uh, who passed away in her dorm room 
uh, who there a misplaced test result, didn't know she had COVID and she got worse. Now what's recovery about? Recovery is, is that not everybody bounces back right away. I talked to a young lady in her 20s yesterday um, who has the brain fog, a number of the what we call sequelae, the longer term th things that can happen. We can get inflammation in all of our organ systems and in children it's called pediatric or you have a, a pediatric version of getting inflamed organs. But we also are now seeing that in adults where there's an inf inflammatory process of multiple organs. So it's really important that we know how we can help a family member get through this tough time. Uh, and then resilience is being able to learn from what's going on, target hardening. What can we learn about taking care of people? Do you know anybody that has taken care of people? We've learned when you drive somebody to the, to the, to the hospital, we know of many people that took someone who was sick to the hospital, didn't wear masks, didn't roll down the window, and the entire families uh, were sick. We've got uh, we've got a, a, a mom and six children who were on respirators over the holidays because they got it from each other. So that is one of the building blocks. Now the final one is caring for your family member at home. And I really have to thank Heather Foster for working with us. We won't in today's webinar go through all the detail, but we did a 90 minute program on this with video absolutely critical to know uh, know what how to prepare the room. How would you prepare a room in your house to care for a roommate, a child, a husband, a wife, a grandmother? How would you prepare that room to keep it safe away from the rest of the family? How would you prepare to take care of laundry? What about food? How about taking care of uh, uh, the garbage? Uh, would you have enough PPE, the protect the personal protective equipment? Uh, where would you set up your disinfection station? How would you go through the process of taking off the PPE, cleaning yourself again, and then moving forward? All these things are going to be very hard to think about if somebody all of, all of a sudden gets sick and you go to the emergency department and they say, well, we don't have any beds. And unfortunately, um, Chief Adcox, you're going to have to take care of your wife at home because we have no beds. Would you be prepared? This is a, a set of checklists that really can help us. And we'll, we'll talk with uh, uh, Heather uh, you know, about this. So what I'm going to do is stop sharing. I'm going to go back to Heather, who was just fantastic. And I can, as we would say in Texas, brag on you, Heather. Uh, Heather, you were terrific. You were, you were an infection preventionist fielding questions about people that were sick while you and I were building out these checklists and then checking with Dr. Boats. And I just have to say, it's heroes like Heather that are just stepping up to help us. And our nurses, I think, are, are right at the top of the list of our community heroes today. We've lost 7,000 caregivers globally. Uh, over 2,000 in America alone. Thank you for what you did to help us with this. But Heather, what would you like to uh, have us be paying attention to now as we as we put our 2021 plan together and we're more likely to have to take care of somebody at home than we ever were? Right now, the 911 system up in, uh, in Northern California collapsed. We, we heard from Dr. Um, Dr. Fox, whose video I'll play, or audio I'll play if we have time. Uh, we're on the edge of our 911 system collapsing here in Orange County. More likely to have to take care of somebody who's sick, who's not really deathly sick at home than ever before. What are your tips? What do you want to tell us? And you're, you're muted, Heather. Thank you. My dog was barking. <laughs> um, so that might happen again. Um, you know, not to be too harsh, I think what COVID is really showing is, is um, 
the the reliance the public has had on the healthcare system for years. Um, so there's that almost lack of personal accountability is starting to reflect. But the answers are here, thanks to people like you, Chuck, and other organizations that have provided a lot of resources for, for communities. Um, I think, you know, for instance, our ERs, and that's why I just so enjoyed Dr. Peabody's presentation about being prepared at all levels of the spectrum, not just for your health, um, um, making sure that when you come into the hospital, you know what medications you take, how many patients we admit that they don't even know the doses or the medications that they're taking. So I think we're starting to see that, that, that reflecting in, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm scared, what do I do? Um, having this um, at all levels of um, um, the community, in our ERs or in doctor's offices, um, having this uh, information readily available um, we don't have cable TV, but maybe having that just continually being playing, let's replace our commercials right now with public announcements of what we can be doing for our, for our family members. Um, I don't know if I answered your question there and I kind of. Well, I think uh, just to, to give you a couple of the items, now that we know that aerosol is much, much bigger a pr problem and perhaps right. contact surfaces are not as big a problem, I think we really need to look at ventilation of that care room, maybe putting towels right. across the bottom of the door, opening the window so that the air that's circulating in the room of the sick room uh, doesn't get it, get into the rest of the house. Right. And soap and water is probably enough for cleaning surfaces. We don't need to spend a ton of money on alcohol-based things and that kind of thing. If we were to have to allocate our funding, it would be ventilation, masks, aerosol. Make sure we wash the contact surfaces, but if we had to split our time, we certainly would be focused on that, wouldn't we? Oh, no, I agree completely. Even in our healthcare setting, uh, we went from a completely isolated COVID unit, and now we've changed that, right? We talk about the continually evolving guidelines the CDC has. So that's changed. Um, so not just healthcare workers are having to adapt quickly. Um, you know, the public is having to adapt quickly right. and they're getting frustrated, but let's face it, you know, we, we know that this virus is going to change. It's part of the study of epidemiology, just being prepared for that. Um, and this is doable. We do it in the hospital we can all the do time. It. We can do it in our home care setting, um, actually been working slightly a little bit with some of the Native American populations that have been hit very, um, very hard. Uh, so once they realize they can do this, you can just see the burden lift off their shoulders. Oh, I can do this. Yes, you can right. do this. Um, right. So, and it's little things, right? Like you say. Um, one thing I will mention, those that have been admitted with COVID in our hospitals, uh, more than not, their masks are filthy. <laughs> I see right. their masks are cloth masks, um, and they're not clean. So as a family unit, being really diligent. Even Thank you so much for bringing that up, because in the end, touching those masks, we got to keep emphasizing using the earpieces, uh, being able to put them out in the sun, ventilating them, letting them dry out, but not touching them because that's the biggest risk. If you talk about a contact surface after you've been breathing that air, that's the contact surface that is most dangerous. Well, well thank you so much. Uh, I know that uh, Randy Steiner, uh, I, I know you need to leave a little bit uh, uh, early. Randy, do you, I'll go to you first for our first responders and law enforcement and then go to uh, Chief Adcox. Randy, are you there? 
Randy Steiner, you're, uh, you're muted. Would you like to comment on, uh, uh, on these last two modules? Sorry about that, Chuck. Um, yeah, you know, just going back to, uh, you know, my, my previous point is, is just making sure that, you know, if we, you are in a, a, a situation, um, you know, emergency wise, where, you know, you have to take some kind of action, just making sure that, that, that you, your, your, all your kit and your plan includes that, that ability to stay safe in those environments. Um, you know, it includes, you know, now that we're, we're, we're also talking about, um, you know, I was just on a call where we're, the, the hospital capacities and the ICU capacities across the country are, are, you know, at critical levels and there's going to be decisions being made about transport or not transporting people who are sick. Um, you know, there's the possibility that you may be in a situation where you're at home, you're sick with COVID or you have family members that are sick. And, uh, you know, some situation may happen where you may have to relocate or, or change things, either go to another location or a, a hotel or a shelter, like I mentioned before. Um, just making sure that, that you're prepared to, to deal with that, not only to keep yourself safe and the people who are um, in those situations safe, but, but also other people who may be in those areas as well, particularly, you know, if you have a, a you know, a, a person who's sick with COVID is not going to be exempt from having to, to potentially evacuate a, a situation, a disaster situation. So, um, you know, having that plan, if, if there is family members or, or who have been exposed or you're quarantining or, or potentially have this, somebody who's sick in the house, making sure that those people can safely get out of emergency situations um, and move to safe locations, even though that, that it may be a lot you know, difficult to do, but having that plan in place, I think is really important. Fantastic, many thanks. And I'm just scanning over the questions. I will make sure to answer all the questions. I think one question from a physician is how many of our folks actually take day-to-day -day care of COVID patients. And I would say over half of our experts are taking care of patients, our clinical experts are taking care of patients every day. Dr. Boats, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Clements, uh, uh, Dr. Fox, uh, and uh, uh, our emergency medicine docs are taking care of COVID patients on a daily basis, just to answer the question. A couple other questions were regarding translating to Spanish. We would love to work with anyone that would like to translate the content uh, into, into Spanish. And we'd love to have any suggestions for content that you think that we might miss or we might get wrong. We would love to hear from you regarding that. So thank you, thank you, uh, Randy. Uh, Chief Adcox. Uh, would you please, uh, uh, anything you want to add to the two components of putting the family plan together, uh, as well as uh, uh, taking care of someone at home? I know at Houston, you had set aside rooms that could help separate some of the families from those that were, uh, that was, that were getting sick. That's correct. And it was interesting when we were talking about your, your plan from home. Uh, I just recently, just today, received our pulse oximeter because we've given the other one to our, ours to our, our son. Uh, so that they could be much more prepared. But, you know, it's just a matter of having all of the different issues and items that you need in order to get it done. I just like to back up and, and stress why these things are so important when you think about our situation that we're in right now, uh, an unprecedented uh, pandemic, and we talked about the changes, but take a look at the hospital systems that are overrun and you think about what's going on. You know, we, we've over the years have really transformed our business model into real-time supplies. That means we don't keep stuff on in warehouses anymore. We just get it real time. We talk about the shortages of nurses and doctors that our country's had for some time, and we're trying to make that up. 
And then you talk about this maximum efficiency that hospitals have had to go through uh, to be competitive and survive. There's not a lot of um, expansion and there's not a lot of room. I mean, they're almost at maximum capacity to begin with before the pandemic hit. And so you can't, you, you, you have to understand where that's where we're at now with our hospitals being overrun and our, our abilities and we're wearing people out. You have to take care of your family. You have to take care of your plans. We've given you the information and, and it's, it's everything's here. And, and just stress it, I, uh, just get the vaccine when it comes out. Uh, I talked to my police officers and I tell them, I said, listen, would you go to a tactical emergency situation without your protective vest? Why would you go into the world with pandemic without a vaccine, without the protective vest of a vaccine? Um, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know it's an individual choice, but what can we do? We can wear masks. We can do all these preventative things. We can get the vaccination. We can help bend this curve, get this, get this vaccine out, get, bend the curve, and making sure that our hospitals can get back up to running and running smooth to where uh, when someone does have to go to the hospital, they're going to get the very best care and their survivability is going to go up and we can, we can, we can beat this uh, terrible virus. So yes, it is important that we put together our plan, we remember it, use the checklist, go through the different uh, uh, scenarios, do the, do the threat assessment in your own family and be prepared because those plans have to be flexible. It's a safety plan, just like you talk about an emergency plan during a hurricane or emergency plan during tornado season or whatever it might be in your community, things that you get hit with floods or whatever. You're gonna to have to be able to go through these things and make those changes and be very, very flexible. And then you've got to teach your family and talk to your children. Um, Mr. Besh talks about all the time, one of the most fantastic educators that we know. He says, talk to your children, they can understand. Have that conversation, have them part of the planning. You know, have drills at home and, and actually go help have your children with you and work with you as you're setting up your, your room and your home for uh, isolation or to quarantine somebody and explain why you do that and whether you have to use a shower curtain because you don't, you know, there's not other, other reasons, other ways to block things off, whatever it takes, have the family involved so that there's some buy-in and there's some ownership to taking care of each other. Um, and I think that those are the things we can do. We're going to give you all the information through, through uh, um, uh, MedTech Global uh, and we'll work with you in any way we can and, uh, but just do it. Do it, get your get your vaccine, and do it, and I, and that's all I can say because it's just too important. And fantastic, and, Bill. Thank you, thank you so much, and thanks for really uh, championing the cause of emerging threats. What started with all of this was we put together an emerging threats community, global community of practice, and one of the thirty some odd emerging threats were pandemics. And who would have thought that we put that together in 19, 2019, and mm -hmm. now here we are. So it's kind of a kind of a crazy time, uh, Jamie. Uh, your perspective, and then Danny, regarding, you know, uh, it's hard to have that conversation to say, hey, let's put together a roommate plan. And it's like, well, that's kind of, you know, you, you, you can, I, I know the reaction that you can get. Uh, and I know, you know, when we first started with our young adults, there was a lot of skepticism, but I think there's a bit of real, uh, a real awakening, don't you think, of people realizing now that people are getting sick that they really don't want to get sick and they don't want to interrupt their their daily life. Jamie and then Danny. So before I start, I wanted to mention two things that were previously mentioned. The first is um, I thought it would be an important update. We've talked so much about how great masks are, and yes, they're fantastic, but there was actually a study that just came out, I think maybe two weeks ago, by some physicists who actually quantified how many viral particles escape the masks. Um, and the takeaway is basically that even if you're wearing a mask, it doesn't substitute for social distancing and all of the other Good practices. Good point. Thank you for bringing so, that up. 
um, just like Heather said earlier, you know, you got to go back to the basics and masks are one of the basics, but, but we, I don't want to, just for the record, they're not a panacea. So um, that, and then the other thing is um, Dr. Adcock or Bill Adcox just mentioned about pulse oximeters. I know uh, a lot of smartphones and various smartwatches have um, various pulse oximetry devices on them. Um, the best information that I could have, because I actually had a friend that tested positive for COVID about a week ago, um, and I was telling him about pulse oximeters. They're, Jamie, losing your voice. Can you restate? Oh, sorry. There you go. I, now you're um, back. Go ahead. A lot of the pulse oximeter and the pulse oximetry devices that are available on smartphones and smartwatches, they're not actually tremendously accurate. So I still highly recommend going to your local drugstore and getting a pulse oximetry device if you want to do that. So those two notes aside, um, back to your question. Yes. Uh, uh, and so one of the things that we know now, starting 2021, is how you know, young people and asymptomatic drivers are a huge percentage of the spread and they're, they account for a huge percentage of the, um, the new cases. And even more so, the, the data is showing that these new mutations and these new um, forms of the virus are actually even more contagious to the young people. So I would just say like now more than ever, it's even, even if those conversations might be awkward or like, oh, how are we gonna form a plan? Um, now more than ever, there it's important to have that conversation with your roommates or your or your college friends or your living group or your family. So especially as young people, if there's any young people in the audience, I would really encourage them to step up and be the leader and take that opportunity to to share the information and start the conversation because every single bed you can save from the ICU is a potential life. So um, you know it's not just kicks and giggles. It's it's really you got to do it. So. Thank you, Jamie. Danny, your thoughts regarding uh, the college and roommate household or any of the other topics, but I know that's, it's a challenge to kind of think of putting a plan together. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with Jamie. It might be an awkward conversation, but it's necessary. It's really life or death at this point. And you have to go in, and I think a pulse oximeter as well would be very helpful in case anyone in your family unit does unfortunately get infected. But, you know, I, uh, a plan is in place, social distancing, mask use, and continuing what we've done so far and update it as we find out more, especially with the aerosols, as we learned earlier, and the importance of masks and social distancing. And you're in New York City where a lot of people are, the most dangerous thing you can do is get in an elevator that's not poorly ventilated and multiple people are flowing through it. It's, it's a, uh, like an Uber car, right? You probably want to, even if it's cold out, is to kind of have those windows down and, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, well, well, great. Uh, Keith, your thoughts regarding, uh, um, and we can kind of expand it a little bit, Keith, to the the idea of the uh, family lifeguard, which you really helped work with us on over the holidays when we were thinking about bringing the bubbles together. Um, now that we're thinking about putting a plan together and we're thinking about um, uh, how do we kind of implement that, uh, it, it's hard to completely segregate multiple families and being able to kind of work with scouts and faith-based organizations and teams kind of this idea of getting getting those together. And I can actually pop that slide up after you speak. Yeah, again, I think what we were uh, looking at with a family lifeguard, and then we moved to the uh, double bubble model where you you have bubbles that, that are gonna interact, but how do you keep them safe so that they don't create that transmission chain? Uh, really, the emphasis was on on youth and having the, the, the active leadership of, of our, our children in keeping our families safe. And once you give them the training, they then become the leaders and, and actually 
I think as, as was said earlier, have them help set up the house, have them then train other people. And then through our checklist, you can actually then um, engage everybody when you, when you first come into contact, that's a before, during and after checklist. So it's an easy way to keep, <laughs> to keep the, the family active, but, but using your children as the leaders within your house. And here's a, uh, a Zoom call foul with my cat. So sorry about that. <laughs> And, and so for those of you, I just popped up the holiday huddle checklist, which we, uh, with Keith's help, deployed to about 18,000 uh, over the holiday that we tested here in California to help families who are were forced or just refused not to keep separate. We basically said, do what the CDC says, keep separate. But if you absolutely have to, here's a checklist. And you'll find this slide. It's not in the same order of the full set of slides, but I put it in the resources so Keith would have the opportunity of, of, of being able to address it. And we're talking about those separate living units. And, and I know uh, Danny and, and Jamie, in, in your age group, it's really hard to keep totally uh, from having uh, any social contact. And so our focus was let's avoid double bubble trouble, which is uh, combining households. But if you do, how can you keep the distance, use the mask, keep the utensils and, 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 and those things uh, separate Anything else that you want to add uh, to that, uh, Keith, regarding working with groups? Because I think you have some great insights on how to how to get groups more excited about working together. Well, I think it's that that clear communication and expectations. I mean, everybody has their own safety level of what they um, their risk level that, that they've assessed at, and you can't make people feel uncomfortable. But but if you make sure that everyone um, is going to be held accountable to you know social distancing and the and the I call it social etiquette. <laughs> when you get people together, they'll respect each other. And um, again, another one of your five R's. So again, um, teaching that to from, to the youth on is is a great way to um, engage them in uh, safe behavior. Great. Uh, so so thank you very much, Keith. Uh, uh, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, we always try to finish on time and we have about a 10 minute recording of the chairman. One of the physicians asked the question, how many of your people are actually taking care of COVID patients? And I'd have to say the good news, bad news. Good news is uh, the majority of our clinical people are taking care of clinical COVID every day. And I have a, a, a recording of our chairman of um, of emergency medicine here at UCI, but it's about 10 minutes. So I want to give Jennifer the opportunity to react to what we've heard. And then uh, anyone that wants to sign off, fine. But if you'd like to listen to uh, Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Chris Fox, who's the chairman of the emergency department, he's got some pretty good tips. But I, I want to finish on time to satisfy those of you that have to break away. Jennifer, your thoughts, uh, what would you like to share as we, as we kind of come to the close and um, and make sure that uh, everyone has the has the opportunity uh, uh, to contribute. And then I'll play uh, Dr. Fox because he's got some got some I think some great insights, and he he'll, he'll tell you the uh, how serious the situation really is here in Orange County. Go ahead, Jennifer, your thoughts to uh, and then uh, and then if you can stay on, Jennifer, we'll play the video and then also have you uh, close us. But your thoughts on what you've heard today as a patient's perspective. Well, thank you, Dr. Denham. Um, the one thing that's more, more striking is what Heather said about the, the mask, uh, people coming in with filthy masks. You know, I, I try to observe other people and, and for the most part where I live, most people are wearing masks. But what I'm seeing 
people are leaving masks in their cars. They're hanging them from their uh, mirrors. They're touching them with their hands when they put them on. I've seen people taking them out of their pockets and their purses. And I think it's kind of defeating the purpose. And I, I was hoping, you know, maybe on a future webinar, we could dedicate a whole lot of time and, and try to get something out to the public about how important it is to take care of these masks. Because the minute you, you go to a grocery store and you touch your cart, you touch a door, you touch the groceries, and then you take your mask off, you put it down in your car or in your purse, and then you go to another store and you're gonna touch it in the middle of it instead of on the sides of it. And I don't think people are properly educated. Nobody, unfortunately, in our country has, except for you in this group, thankfully, has given instructions on to how to protect yourself from COVID. So I think that that's a really, really important factor. Um, and I, you know, everything that you guys are doing here is just so important. I just wish more people in the general population could listen to this and and you know again I urge our participants today to spread this invite others let people know this is available this could save lives so um again thank you all so very much for everything you're doing such a great job I'll hand it back to you Dr. Denham well great uh, uh, I really appreciate uh the 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 thought what uh, what what we'll do here is uh as I'm going to put up uh, the um, uh, the picture of Dr. Fox because uh, he we had to record him on the way to work. Uh, we're in an, a terrible state here in Orange County. Uh, we're not as bad as LA, but we're pretty close. And uh, I'll play the audio uh, recording of Dr. of Dr. Fox. Now we'd like to thank all of you for attending. It's going to go over the uh, the 90 minutes, and we know there are a lot of clinicians, a lot of medical people, and uh, first responders that have just the, enough time for the me, the program. So God bless you all. Thank you so much. And, and Jenny, I think we'll do that. We'll address some of these really tactical and practical things. So Jenny, if you could stay on to, to just close us as you usually do, and I'm gonna play Dr. Fox now, but thank you all to our uh, speakers. And if you could stay on, great. And if you can't, we understand. Wait, um, it's going, you know, it's interesting. They, they removed our uh, EMS. There's lots of changes with uh, the EMS system. This, you know, you can see the collapse of the 911 system happening in LA, and it's starting to happen within Orange County. We're hanging on by a thread. Hopefully, this is the peak, and we're just kind of, you know, treading water here for the next week or so. Things will things will calm down. But, um, uh, but uh, you know, right now, you know, we're, we're we are we have capacity in our ED to take any patient who comes in. The hospital has shut down all the surgeries, and it's turned itself into a gigantic um, COVID hospital, 200 COVID patients. And um, we have, you know, a military, I mean, a mobile field hospital set up with 50 beds in that. Basically, our capacity went from, like, uh, a 380-bed licensed hospital to a 520 licensed hospital, like, overnight. So with all our tents and... Going to other areas too, you know, we're not to the point we're going to the gift shop yet, but we're we're getting close. We're uh, we're going into all these other. We're using utilizing every every space. Um, I mean, we've tripled our ICU capacity in the last I don't know week, um, and we've got these uh, National Guard came in with all the nurses and brought us all these ICU nurses, which is tremendously helpful because I think it ultimately the it, the nurses were the bottleneck for this. It was space was becoming an issue, and then once we fixed that with the tents, 
then the issue was staffing it with nurses. And um, so, Chris, every other hospital in Orange County is at a ratio right now, except for us. So we're still hanging in there. Great. So, Chris, uh, what's your message to the families and the leaders of families of our essential workers and the general public regarding emergency medicine across the country as we as we look at now what we've learned? Any message you'd like to have them know? Yeah, I think um, the best thing to do at this point is to prevent yourself from getting COVID so you don't end up in the hospital, obviously. Um, when you're at home, really, if you have people in your household that, that went outside the bubble and socialized, you know, indoors with somebody else, then it's time to just treat them as if they could have COVID and wear a mask or double mask. They should have a mask. You should have a mask for the next 14 days. That's the safest way uh, to do this. Eat all your meals outside with that family member if you, if, if you can. Um, that's the one time you take your mask down around them because we're really seeing it transmitted within the families in the community now. That's how this is. This, that's how everybody is getting sick. So, so that was if someone's outside the bubble for some reason, then uh, your immediate bubble. Then you, when they come back into your bubble, you really need to sort of treat them as if the safest thing to do is just everybody wear a mask and eat outside. Now. Um, assuming you have to go to the hospital, so do everything you can do to stay out of the hospital. Wear helmets, wear seatbelts, uh, take your blood pressure medication, monitor your glucose a lot closer than you ever have. You know, do your virtual visits with your doctor, stay on top of all your blood pressure medications. Um, if you if you need dialysis, you know, keep up with all your dialysis appointments. It's just like be very vigilant about everything you're doing with your health you know wear shoes that that are comfortable you know that are going to cause you a trip and then you need to go to the er for a broken arm you know things like that like really when i see these people going by 25 miles per hour on their electric bikes with no helmets i just i'm like it's, they just don't know that the 911 system is collapsing and they you know it's just not the time to be doing all those kind of activities just we got to wait a little bit longer until this until the surge mellows out. So, but yeah, if you have to go to the hospital, then just follow all the rules. Come in, you'll see a tent outside, and they'll tell you to sit over here, sit over there, keep your mask on. Um, if you touch anything, get the hand sanitizer back on your hands right away. You know, we're doing our best to keep everything clean, but um, certainly if you find yourself in a hospital situation, you want to just be. Uh, like you would be if you were at the grocery store. You're wearing a mask. You're everything you're touching. You're, you're hitting your hands with hand sanitizer. So, Chris, we, our hypothesis when we uh, assembled our rapid response team, and you've been a wonderful contributing member, was that the family transmission chains were the Achilles heel, and that's why we jumped in to help the essential critical workers. And now it's, the data is really supporting, as you've said, that that's that that's the, the the big problem as we think about taking someone to the emergency department who has the cdc signs the troublesome signs that really mean you need to go in uh, uh do you want to re reinforce the need for masks in the cars windows down bringing medical records if you have them in the bag of the medications getting prepared knowing that it's not the usual trip to the emergency department yeah you know because we're having a, a lot of places, you know, you can't bring the family back. So, um, and so, you know, if in, in those situations, it's, it's even more critical than ever to, to have a really well-documented medical history medication list. 
um, all those types of things. The other problem that we're running into is in, in a, a family member who needs English translation and, you know, with no family member to help translate for uh, that language, then we are using these um, CERICOM uh, translating uh, services with like an, it's basically like an iPad with a speaker. Um, but the more information we have, especially on somebody who's either cognitively impaired, um, demented, or speaks a language, you know, other than English, while we're waiting for the, you know, the translator service to pop up, it's super helpful to have all of that material, all that, as much documentation as possible for us. If they were from another system outside of our own, because, you know, we use Epic, most hospitals are on Epic, but some aren't. I don't think Hogue is on Epic, and so it's hard for us to get to some other non-Epic medical record systems. And so it, it just, it's very helpful when people are organized and they bring in like the list of everything. And if the family could like, you know, write out exactly what the issue is, especially on somebody who's right. demented, that'd be very helpful. Chris, thanks so much. So if it's okay, we'll share this recording with our audience uh, 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 that, are, that are meeting on the 2021 plan. As you look forward, your advice, last question, about getting the vaccines. Are you as strongly supportive of getting the vaccines as quickly as possible and, make, and, and dispelling a lot of the misinformation about the vaccines? Yeah, regarding the vaccine, you know, I just, I just wrote this thing on my Facebook wall. I had a lot of thoughts about it because a lot of people are direct messaging me saying, hey, you know, um, this vaccine seemed like it was rushed too quickly. Um, you know, so it made me think about that. I think it, it, the, the term Operation Warp Speed, I happen to think that's a super cool term, but I could see why people would go, hey, wait a minute. You know, you can't rush science. Hold on a second. Is this really safe? And the answer is no vaccine in history has had as much scrutiny put on it than um, these, uh, these two mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. So, I mean, when you throw it a billion dollars at each one of these vaccines, what happens is um, the first thing that happens is that you get through phase three trial much faster. So that's the time when people are signing up to get uh, the placebo or, or to be randomized to the um, treatment arm, the vaccine arm. And usually phase three trials take years to get through, and that's where a lot of vaccines die. But when you, you know, pay subjects to enroll, then that actually worked, and it sped up that process. You know, if you combine the two data sets from these two mRNA vaccines, you're looking at 70,000 people, um, and that's the statistics on that are are really, really good in that after day 12, you're seeing this really big divergence of who got COVID and who didn't post-vaccine. So I think that the reason why it moved so quickly is, number one, they were get, they got through phase three incredibly fast in record speed because they just had so many people enrolling because they were getting like a thousand dollars to enroll in this and then number two usually with the manufacturing process you wouldn't want to manufacture a whole giant amount of it if you couldn't get through phase three because the manufacturing process is also very costly so by just giving these companies this money uh, they were able to go through phase three at the same time they are creating this massive amount of it because if at the end of phase three things don't work out they just dump all that stuff and it was no financial downside risk to them but luckily phase three worked out i mean better than anybody had expected and now we have the the 
the stockpile to to distribute it. <laughs> Interestingly, the the that the problem we're facing now is how do you distribute the vaccine in 50 states where every state has a different you know way of of, of doing this? It's complicated for places like CVS or Walgreens to like have to change their process 50 different ways. But at the same time, you know everybody says hold tight. I think. Um, the only way out of this is the vaccine. Um, and then we can start to think about going back to normal here pretty soon. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks, Chris, so much. That's it. Thanks for the insight. Great. So thank you all uh, so very much for uh, being uh, with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, Jennifer, any closing thoughts? I always love to have a patient uh, uh, close and we'll respond to uh, the questions in the chat. If anybody has anything that they want to add, uh, please uh, let us know and we'll make sure uh, to, uh, to address it. Thank you again uh, for this wonderful opportunity for all of us to hear this really, really valuable life-saving information about COVID and how to protect ourselves. Again, I thank everyone for being here, our speakers, our panelists, and most of all, Dr. Denham and your group, your crew. Um, and thank you to all of the participants. Again, please share this widely and invite others to come in the future and get the word out to the public because it will definitely save lives. God bless everyone and happy new year to us all. Thank you, Jenny, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we will see you next month, uh, the first Thursday of the month until the crisis is over. And please go to our website. All of the content is there. And this program will be uh, up within three business days to, for viewing and for streaming. And we'll uh, continue to add assets uh, to them. And we'll put together from your input, we'll put together the game plan for February and try to meet uh, everyone's needs. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, uh, uh, Danny. I know uh, Heather had to leave. Uh, Jennifer, uh, fabulous. And I know uh, Mr. Steiner had to uh, uh, go deal with a, a disaster preparedness meeting at UCI. So we'll sign off now. Many thanks. <laughs>